Welcome back to another episode of Best Hour of Their Day. I have an amazing woman on today's episode. Her name is E.C. Sinkowski. E.C. was a longtime member of the CrossFit seminar staff. That's where I met her many, many moons ago. And now you probably recognize her name from the 800 gram challenge. EC started Optimize Me Nutrition and really took it to the next level with the 800 gram challenge, all about getting plenty of fruits and vegetables, something I incorporate into my life every day and incorporate with all of my nutrition clients. So in addition to the 800 gram challenge, we're gonna talk about EC's advice for developing as a CrossFit coach. And turns out, her advice is very similar to others I've had on the podcast. Great minds think alike from EC to Boz to Austin Maliolo to David Osorio to David Lipson to Chris Cooper. You're going to hear a lot of the same advice. And to me, that means it's super valuable and we should be paying attention. If the best in the world are doing something over and over again, we should be doing it. We should be learning from them. So I'm super excited to talk about coaching, to talk about the 800 gram challenge and much more with EC. Check this out. Listen to her. Check out her site, Optimize Me Nutrition. And if you're not focusing on quality, quality of food, you're missing out. It's not just about how much you're eating. It's also about making sure you're getting good quality food into your life. So I'm super excited to bring to you this interview with my friend, E.C. Sinkowski. All right, I'm here with E.C. Sinkowski. Some of you may know her from Optimize Me Nutrition, and chances are you've seen the 800 gram challenge. So she's probably the reason you're eating more broccoli. (laughs) That would be awesome. Thank you for having me. You are definitely the reason I'm eating more vegetables. You know, those that have seen EC and I together, we've done some things, but you know that I wasn't eating a whole lot of fruits or vegetables when I was tracking macros until I stumbled upon EC's 800 gram challenge. And now it's my goal every day to eat 800 grams. So thank you, EC. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. You have improved my, at a minimum, bowel movement. So that's a good start. So I've, I've known EC. Okay. <laughs> you're responsible for that. So thank you. I, I've known EC over, over 10 years now. And outside of the 800 gram challenge, EC is also a CrossFit level four certified coach, which I don't know how many there are these days, but there's probably less than 200. So a very highly recognized credential that do you still put that to use at CrossFit Roots? I do. I do still coach at CrossFit Roots. Uh, kind of jump in and pitch it, and also do the strongman programming and classes. And you, you are part of the programming. CrossFit Roots has something called Project Roots, right? Correct. We do sell our programming and lesson plans, and so I'm also programming for that. Now there's a team as well, but the base programming, I'm I'm doing that. Yep. I've seen good stuff from there. Our our mutual friend Lindsay Andrew, she uses it for her box, and that's right. I worked with her a couple of weeks ago, so I was forced to do some of that. It was like a brutal, like kettlebell back squat pistol workout. Like, oh yes, that one. I do actually remember that. Yes. <laughs> so I've enjoyed some of that, but you know, this podcast is primarily geared towards CrossFitters and, you know, we do a lot for box owners, but for coaches as well, or even just a typical athlete, I guess 
the question I really wanted to approach you with, I told you about it before we got on, you know, this is a, how would I put it? It's a type A sport, a type A fitness program, a lot of men, a lot of ego in there, at least in some boxes. What's your advice as a female coach? You know, if, if someone returns from their level one or they're just a, a, a coach, a female coach in this world, how did you handle that back in 2006, 2007? Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think that actually there was an article about female coaches way back in the day because I, I was part of uh, like one of the few who was coaching a male athlete for the games, of course, Austin. So that's changed over the years, which is great. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't really think I thought about it at the time. Um, just for a little bit of backstory, um, I have an engineer's degree. Um, so I was used to, I guess, being in different fields where women were the minority. So I don't think it really hit me at first. But I do think what's, um, you know, important regardless of man or woman, whatever you're putting yourself in a position of knowledge and teaching is that you really have to back that up with good information and to be valuable. And I think, I even think coach Glassman has something in one of his excellence articles, but it's always like this dance of staying a step ahead of, you know, your students. And so in the beginning, maybe you don't know everything, but you still have to be a step ahead of them. And I think that's how you really develop the rapport regardless of who your athletes are for them to come to come back to you and uh, for your coaching services. So how would you recommend someone newer to the coaching world stay a step ahead? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, of course there's a few different ways to do it. There's always the reading. You can always read more and watch more and, and find the instructors that you really like um, and really watch what they're doing with their athletes. And more so though, get out there in a, an environment that's also safe for you to grow. And I mean that by like, I wouldn't necessarily jump into teaching classes of 25 right away and think that you're, <laughs> that you're going to hold, uh, hold their all respect and their attention just because it's probably going to be a little bit overwhelming. So maybe start by co-coaching, going around to different boxes. I know you always did that really well. Um, and, and learning from others by doing, I think it's going to be some of the great ways to do it. If you are going to do it remotely, I remember I used to watch coach Bergner's videos a lot, but really watch it from the coaching perspective, not just like, Oh, that was cool. You know, cool thing with an athlete, but instead like what cue did he use? Rewind it, rewatch the athlete. So it's almost like you're creating a, a coaching environment. As, as you were saying that, you actually reminded me, I have a quote from you in my new uh -oh. book. I have a, and I, I remember you saying, you know, this is a little off topic, but we talked about the black box theory in CrossFit. Mm -hmm. And I remember you always talked about how you were struggling to get muscle ups. Mm -hmm. And then you got muscle ups and all of a sudden you realized your your jerk went up. Yep. So you've, you've done an excellent job in the past of, of defining that black box. And I feel like that's kind of gone overlooked in the past few years. Can you explain that to the, to the listeners out there? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that's really elegant about CrossFit's approach, and, and of course I learned this from Greg, but you know, we don't exactly care what's happening on a physiological level. It's super interesting. It's some, somewhere where I've spent a lot of time looking at what's happening to our physiology, but we really care about inputs and outputs. And we actually, go about by increasing our fitness just by doing it and doing constantly varied functional movements at high intensity, assuming you're doing CrossFit. And so it's, it's less about getting lost in the details of the perfect programming and understanding exactly why, you know, working on your weaknesses might develop your strengths, but instead going out there, training, seeing the results and then adjusting from there. And so it's less time spent on the kind of the academic and more time spent on the doing. 
And to be honest, I see this all the time with nutrition truth as well. It's like, you know, let's stop talking about BCAAs and protein powder. Let's, let's talk about what you had for breakfast. You know, what are you doing day to day? So let's talk about that. Perfect segue. As you were saying that exactly what I was thinking, you know, (laughs) I've seen it. So it's like paralysis by analysis. I actually had somebody right before we were getting on here message me and he was like, Hey, when's the best time to meditate? I heard it before working out versus after. And I said, Hey, when do you meditate? And he's like, well, I really don't. I was like, right. well, it doesn't matter. Then let's just start. Right. Um, so is that really where the 800 gram challenge came from? Um, no, I, I, it really came, I actually was playing around with a couple different ideas about how to measure quality in the diet. And it came, it really came from finding a study, but what I loved about it was it gave people something really simple to do in concept and to do it every day and to focus on actually putting it into practice. Um, and there's not all these rules about when you have to eat and what you have to eat specifically. You can adapt it based on your preferences. So that's not where it came from, but of course, when I put it out there as an idea, I liked it as a really simple thing for people to actually do. (laughs) So you and I, I a hundred percent agree. It's simple. I mean, 800 grams of fruits and vegetables Mm -hmm. is not very hard. A banana is 100 grams. An apple, 100 grams. I use, you know, your, you've said before, like when you go out to a restaurant, assume you're getting 100 grams. Mm -hmm. But for some people, that's, you know, 750 grams more than they're usually getting. Right. And I've spoken to you in the past about like, hey, what's the first step? Maybe it's just have a glass of water. Mm -hmm. But what, what are some pieces of advice you do have. Someone listens to this, they, they go online, they find you and they, they want to take part in this. What have yeah. you found people that were not doing it have had the easiest path to success with? Yeah. Well, first find the fruits and vegetables that you like. I mean, it's this nice idea that we're all going to have a perfectly diverse diet of kale and beans and I don't know, pick your you know superfood status, blueberries and all these other things. But if you don't like those, then I'm not entirely sure the program's going to work trying to eat those. So first of all, find the things that you like. And generally for people that aren't eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, it's going to be more fruits. And I, I, it's hard to find people who don't like some type of fruit, especially strawberries or blueberries. Great. So let's just start there. And and trying to pick a meal where you know that you're going to be successful as well. I think breakfast is a great place just because you're at home normally. Um, you know, you're starting the day off right. And so just trying to get in a couple cups at breakfast of things that you like is a phenomenal way to get started on this. Um, and so I think that's probably true with coaching really as well, if you're looking at athletics. But don't necessarily tackle the hardest and biggest challenge out of the gate. Maybe that's the long-term view, but the next day should be something, yeah, it's a little bit of a stretch, but it's also very doable. And that way we start to build success over time. Yeah. And one thing I do on some days is literally make a smoothie that has 800 grams in it. And Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily drink it all at once, but I'll just, I know by the end of the day, I need to drink that. And it's right. Tastes good. And it's my easy way of knowing I ate, good quality that day. I was, I was wondering about that. I actually saw, I think a couple of the stories and I was like, does Jay have that all at once? <laughs> <laughs> no, I usually make it and it kind of sits out till it's done, but it's like <laughs> an hour and a half to two hours. I just, I, we have these like bamboo straws and I sip it, but it was, <laughs> it was my way of just making sure I felt like I wasn't 
I was falling off actually the 800 grams and, mm. and I was like, okay, I need to get back on it. And that was just yeah. an easy way to get on it. Um, yeah, I know. I think, th- I think that's, what's interesting. I think it's true in training. I think it's true in nutrition. I'm sure it's probably true in other fields as well, but I think we're kind of, we, we gravitate towards this optimal end state, but it's, it's almost like, Hey, go for the easy, low hanging fruit, I guess, pun intended first. Um, you know, so that you can build some success and be successful and have some sustainability with it before you worry about, oh shoot, did I really optimize my diversity? You know, it's like, if you're, if you're having all this processed stuff, a day of bananas and oranges is this great comparison. So what do you say to people? We, we've all met them. That's like, I don't like vegetables. And I know you said eat mm-hmm. fruit, but do you have any, any, there's really no tips, tricks. Is it like, did, have you found the vegetable that like the non-vegetable eater enjoys? Right. Um, I actually think, uh, if they haven't tried roasted vegetables of any type, they're probably missing out. I mean, just the caramelization of that, um, can really help. I think add a lot of flavor, definitely, um, not going straight raw, like straight kale raw or broccoli raw, um, cauliflower, I think it's just a little bit rough for people that aren't into eating that food. So somehow either softening it, putting it in soups or roasting it to really bring out the flavor can be a, can be a nice way to do that. And then of course, things like sweet potato or yam. I mean, they're just such simple, um, flavors that they're not, you know, as distinct as more of those green leafy vegetables. And of course, adding bacon to it helps. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, if you do even green sauteed and bacon grease, I mean, how can you not like that? But Again, well, like, start start with where you like, and then warm up to those more adventurous ideas later. <laughs> yeah, we like, people go out to dinner, and the the big thing these days is Brussels sprouts. With, oh yeah, <laughs> but it's like I don't know how healthy those are. You know, when they covered in bacon fat. And yeah, and they often have those because we're actually doing this uh, vice challenge right now at Roots, where we eliminate alcohol, sugar, or caffeine, and. Uh, yeah, all those sauces have a lot of sugar on them and how they're fried and stuff like that. So yeah, they're not quite just like Brussels sprouts. <laughs> and, you know, and that was part of the smoothies was it was my way of getting some veggies in. If I didn't want to eat veggies, just, you know, you can throw mm-hmm. broccoli right in the Vitamix there. And totally. you don't need, if you put it with some fruit, you don't even taste it. Yeah, that's true with a lot of, that's a great point. A lot of veggies too. I even know people that will do like the fri- frozen rice cauliflower in their smoothies. And and yeah, it's a great way that you can get some veggies in and not notice. Mm-hmm. Roz eats a ton of that frozen cauliflower. Oh yeah, for sure. It's a great filler too. I mean, that's some of the things about even greens when people start to like them and, and like cauliflower rice is it can just make you feel like you're eating more with barely any calories. Another you know, question people ask about it is, is it significantly more expensive to eat this way? No, I mean, part of the rules allow people to um, buy cooked can- or whey frozen or canned food as well. It could also be fresh or cooked, doesn't really matter how you weigh it. But so yeah, I mean, once you start hitting sales for sale, um, you know, frozen items or even canned items, it really isn't. And and then of course, I'm sure you've heard it before, but it's also that sort of investment in your health, right? I mean, like, yeah, it might be more expensive than ramen noodles, but so is getting sick, right? So, you know, some sort of balance there, but it doesn't necessarily need to be all locally raised, organic, perfect vegetables either. Yeah. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you buy Starbucks at least once or twice a week. Right. So you right. can meet... It's like the people that ask for a discount at your gym, but then go out for sushi dinner. Yeah. You, know, you just have to make those choices. So totally. I want to ask you as an expert, 
a lot of people get wrapped up around that. What What's your opinion on organic versus non-organic versus, you know, GMO mm-hmm. and all, all of that stuff, be it fruits and vegetables or eggs? Because mm-hmm. personally, I don't remember if I saw a documentary or whatnot. I was like, there's really not much of a difference. You know, there's so many mm-hmm. variables they can put on these labels. What, what's your expert opinion? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to answer that sort of how we kicked this off. And that is like, what did you have for breakfast? I mean, you know, if you're asking about the organic question, I first want to know, like, are you really doing fruits and vegetables for most of your meals type of thing? Because again, it could be getting a little bit too, too far afield. Um, But I will answer your question. I do think it's, I do think that, you know, if you have the interest and financial uh, flexibility to buy organic, I do. Um, But I don't necessarily think that the research is that conclusive that it's that harmful. I do it more um, partially for the environmental reasons um, and and some long-term effects that we don't necessarily know um, in terms of environmental sustainability. And so that's why I tend to buy more organic. But I don't think that's just this thing that based on all the data that we have, that this is definitely a problem in terms of health. So again, I'd first want people to focus on just what you're eating before you worry about exactly what type or how it was grown. So when Roz wants to buy like the $8 dozen of eggs and I'm (laughs) willing to buy the $2 one, I can say like, Hey, how about the, you know, that junk you eat? Right. Why, why are you worrying about these eggs when you're still putting other processed foods into your body? Right. And of course, you know, you know me, I don't require perfection, but it is sort of interesting that we latch on to these and I'm guilty of it too. So I'm not just shaking my finger at other people, but you know, we latch on to these details when it's like, Oh shoot. Like I have some bigger fish to fry. Yeah, I love that I'm, I'm getting all these, uh, diet related puns in, right? <laughs> you're, you're doing very good at those. But, but And I think it's, it's important because that's a really I don't think of it from that perspective. I typically answer just that question at hand, but you're right. Like, you know, I'm known to always have a treat at the end of the day. And those treats are not organically, like Oreos are not organically raised. No. So so it's like, why am I worrying about the eggs when I'm also, now that being said, hey, like you said, if you can afford it, it's probably not making, it's not worse for you to eat that better quality. No. But- so, so fair What's point. Interesting too. Like I was looking actually at the grass fed stuff again, just going back to that and looking at like the fatty acid profile. And it's like, you know, everyone knows quote unquote that grass fed, you can get more omega threes. Well, when you look at what omega threes they are, they're actually more of the ALA and they're not that you're getting more of the EPA and DHA. So it's, it's sort of like, well, what's really the trade-off there? Um, you know, is it really what we want and need? And, and oftentimes it's like inflammation doesn't come down to just the two ratios of omega-6 to omega-3. There's other factors that control inflammation in your body. So again, it's like really drilling down to this level of specificity that I don't know matters once we consider the whole context. I wish we would have had this conversation last week. Last Sunday I was giving <laughs> a nutrition lecture and somebody asked about omega-9. Yes. You know, and he was like, I, you know, do I need to get take fish oil, I get plenty of omega-9 and I was a little thrown off and then, you know, realizing, yeah, that's not quite the same. It doesn't have the same benefits because it doesn't have the EPA, DHA, like you just said. Yep. Yep. So again, if somebody's willing to get started tomorrow, do you ever recommend, I know you and I have our foundations course out Mm -hmm. there and we have some options, you know, if you can't hit 800 grams, do you ever purposely recommend people start at 200 grams, work their way up to 400, or is it just do your best and try to get to 800? 
Yeah, I put out the do your best and try to get to 800. One of the reasons that I don't try to scale it too much is because calorically, when you look at an average dose of what 800 grams is, it's it's really less than what a lot of people need to eat. So typically, assuming you're not trying to target any one specific um, fruit or vegetable, like you're not only doing 800 grams of avocado or only white potato. If you do mixed fruits and vegetables, it generally comes in at hundred grams of carbohydrates or less and about 500 calories. And so when you consider that relative to what people are eating in a day, even a low end of calories is 1200. And that's a very low end for an active person. Um, it's still less than half. And so for me, I'm like, what else are you eating, right? Like you still get to eat other things. You still get to, you don't have to eliminate anything else. So I, I don't like to scale it too much. Now, if I truly had someone who you know needed to scale out at the beginning, great, let's do it. But for the most part, because I think it's a very manageable target, I, I just sort of don't see why we can't just set that as the target, you know, out of the gates. So just to be clear, what you're saying is the average person that's eating 800 grams of fruits and vegetables, and if you're completely new to this, understand that's in weight, what it weighs yep. on the scale, but they're getting approximately 100 grams of carbs or you know, four or 500 calories in those 800 grams, depending on the diversity, of course. Yeah, depending on the diversity, what you choose, how many veggies, how many fruits. And the big swing there is avocado or olives. Anything that has fat is what pulls the calories up more. But yeah, it, it ends up being, you know, mixed fruit and vegetables ends up being about 100 grams of carbs or less. And like I said, about 500 calories. And so it just is like, well, you know, you're eating more than that in a day. <laughs> so to me, it doesn't seem that it's that outlandish to suggest it as a target, especially when we're not, when we're not like, ex I don't require you to re exclude anything, right? So you still can have wine or, or chocolate or whatever. So it's like, yeah, you have room for this. Yeah, it's basically eat how you're eating, but now incorporate 800 grams. And mm -hmm. hopefully you yep. were having some of that already in your yep. life. Yep. What's been the craziest question you've had about it? Like what food does is this part of it? Oh, <laughs> that's, that's a good thing. I, I don't, I'd have to go back and really think about that one. You know, as soon as people, I think any type of products, it'll be like, you know, some type of pasta that's like infused with, you know, vegetables or something like that. And it's just like, I try to go back to the five-year-old kind of explanation. Like if you would teach your five-year-old, if this is a fruit or vegetable, it probably counts for the challenge. Right. So once we start looking at these packaged things, it's like, well, no, <laughs> that's not going to count. Um, you know, and then people, I guess the other, I guess, funny questions would be when people really want an extreme answer, like, well, what if I do, um, you know, I need like 400 carbohydrate grams a day. What if I do it all in fruit? And I'm just sort of like, well, okay, but why, you know, <laughs> is that really sustainable and realistic? And, and why don't we just take a viewpoint that's a little bit more what it's going to look like when you play it out across weeks and months, you know? I, I have found when it comes to nutrition, if someone's asking me a question like that, it's because they are looking for a shortcut mm, to, okay. right? Or it's like, hey, I thought this was going to be easier. There must be, you know, a shortcut. Uh, to okay. so, so, or they just want you to reinforce a belief they had, even though it's not true. Yeah. I mean, I guess what I was interpreting it as because there can be sometimes, you know, information out there and then people uh, want to know, well, what happens? like what's the yes or no answer on something and like fruits always a good example because of the whole sugar conundrum but you know yes or no when of course everything in nutrition has a little bit more of like shades of gray than yes or no 
And so I think that's where some of these, these questions come from. And, and this is like, well, what if I only eat or get all of my fat from, you know, saturated fat? And it's like, well, that's not how it works in food. So let's not worry about it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Impossible. Um, right. Can you give us your elevator pitch about added sugar versus sugar that comes from fruit? Sure. Yeah. So chemically speaking, um, they're the same. It's a mixture of fructose and glucose. And you find that in fruit and you find that in added sugar. The difference, of course, is the dose you're getting. And so when you're looking at it in fruit, because of all that water weight, you're actually not getting much of a dose. And you're also getting some vitamins and minerals and fiber and phytochemicals, where when you have it as the added sugar, you're just getting it as extra calories. And we typically get too much of it that way. So that's why I tell people to eat up on the fruit because you really just get fuller faster at a way less dose of sugar than you would on the product with added sugar, where I say to limit it. And, and it still satisfies a lot of that sweet tooth we have, you know, even though it's pineapple, because mm-hmm. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times and I'm sure you've heard it where it's like, I cut out fruit because it's bad for me. It's got sugar and I need to lose weight. And I'm right. like, really, that's what you decided to cut out. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's important for people to hear that. And like you said, you're, you're still getting that satisfaction, if you will, but you're not getting quite the dose. I know recently, I think last week, you put up a post on Instagram about mm-hmm. that. I think you had some kiwi on it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's so true. We, so, you know, Americans are eating about 156 grams of added sugar, right, a mm-hmm. year. So. Yep. We're not including fruit in there. We're talking about like cereal and you putting sugar in your coffee and and all that. That's not the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what's interesting about fruit is it's like, if you just, you know, put it on a scale and then look up in MyFitnessPal what you're getting on a carbohydrate basis, it it just really doesn't even come close to a cereal or a bread product or chips or whatever it is. Um, And it also has all that water weight, which physically fills you up. And so that's the deal is like, after you have an orange, it's not like you're like, I need six more of those. You know (laughs) what I mean? (laughs) You just kind of stop at some really natural quantities because of that water weight where you don't have that same mechanism when we're looking at these products that typically are a little bit more dried out or processed. Do you you have someone in mind if I said, hey, who's been your, who's been someone that really made a complete life change because of the 800 gram challenge? You know, I've had a few people write in um, just various testimonials, um, and that's been great over time and just seeing what people are saying uh, socially about it. I think some of the testimonials that I, I like the best um, are ones that either talk about kind of like the non-dogmatic approach of it, which I, I really like about it. Um, I think nutrition can and should be inclusive, both in terms of the choices that you're making, but also inclusive in the sense of eating with other people. I think there's some, some huge benefit there. And so that's what I like about the challenge is it really can be inclusive to a lot of different diet approaches and people. Um, and then the other kind of flip side testimonials that I like are the ones that talk about like the mentally freeing aspect of it, where, you know, the focus is quote on the positive. And I think, you know, nutrition can be a negative experience for people. And so this is a way that kind of flips the script a little bit. And so those are, I think, probably the ones that I'm most proud of or happy to see when I see those testimonials. Yeah, not so much about these fitness gains. I mean, weight loss is great and fitness improvement is cool, but someone that's really changed their life and mindset and -hmm. improved maybe relationships because of it. Mm -hmm, Totally. 
Beyond the 800 grams I've seen recently, you kind of put like easy macros, right? Yeah. You hit your 800 grams. And beyond that, you're suggesting just track your protein. Yeah. And I actually call it, I like easy macros, but maybe a little better. Lazy macros is what I was calling it, which sounds, <laughs> you know, not much effort. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, the idea with the 800 gram challenge was sort of this, Hey, let's focus on what we're not including enough of. And I think after fruits and vegetables, the next target for most people would be protein. Um, and so the idea is, Hey, get your 800 grams in and also hit your protein target. And guess what? If you do both of those things, you're probably going to get pretty darn close to where you need to be and not necessarily have to track on all the macros individually. Um, for me, for protein, just the way that I think people eat protein, I think it's mentally easy if you just sort of have it at, you know, your main meals kind of generally split throughout the day. So for example, I target about 135 grams of protein. So I hit about 40 to 45 grams of protein at each meal. And if I just do that, like I don't need to, you know, track it any more specifically than that. Like people just don't enjoy protein in like a plate of only brisket. Do you know what I mean? So protein, if you just sort of divide out what you need across your day, you almost don't need to track it as long as you do it. And then you also just kind of keep a tab on your 800 grams. And I think that's, that's a great way that'll get people 80% or closer to where they want to be. You know, and, and it's like the 80, 20 rule. If, mm-hmm. if, if if you do that 80% of the time, I don't think it's quite the 80-20 rule, but if you do sure. that 80% of the time, you're going to have success. And that's honestly what I do a lot of the time on the road. You know, mm-hmm. we were both on Watt on the Waves uh, this past yeah. January, and I felt and looked my best. And it was like, I'm just, I weighed my protein. I had the scale, but I just did that and then ate as much fruits and vegetables as I wanted. And I was mm-hmm. fine. Totally. Yeah. It's it's very hard to get obese eating fruits and vegetables. Yes. And then with that protein too, I mean, as you know, that helps with the satiation as well. And so what ends up happening is even though you're not restricting things, you end up being a little bit more full than you would. And necessarily, maybe you'll cut back on the, on the negative items or the less ideal items. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, I think that's, that was sort of the limitation of some of the quality diets out there is that it would be like, Hey, eat more fruits and vegetables or eat as much as you like. But the thing about the 800 gram challenge or setting your protein target is now you actually do have a target to hit that you can do across days, which really does help kind of manage that volume, but then also allow some flexibility for the stuff that we, we like, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to the 800 gram challenge, of course, if you're using it in a challenge phase, you're doing, you know, EC's 800 gram challenge or our foundations, you know, you're trying to win points and whatnot. But the cool thing is you have a bad day on Saturday, you just get right back on it Sunday. Totally. And I I know for me, I, you know, once in a while, I'll still go a little crazy, be it a Saturday night or, you know, whatever's going on. And I've had 40 years of life experience and very quickly I'm like, okay, I need to cut carbs. I need to eat less. And that, that lasts less time these days and very quickly becomes, no, I need to eat fruits and vegetables. Right. Right. Exactly. Er, Earlier, you mentioned a vice challenge. Mm -hmm. Now I can understand the sugar, the Mm -hmm. alcohol. You also Mm -hmm. mentioned caffeine. Correct. I don't think I can cut caffeine out. Why would you (laughs) tell people what's, what's the benefit of that for someone listening I, you know, I can understand, Hey, you, you should be able to survive without it. I don't know that I yeah. survive without it. What, what do you tell yeah. somebody 
about caffeine. Yeah. Yeah, and so the idea of this challenge uh, was that people pick two out of the three to eliminate, and then the third one they can continue to have in a in a limited quantity. Um, and so the caffeine is interesting. I actually am not like against caffeine. I think, you know, standard recommendations that out there say up to about four hundred milligrams a day are quote fine. Um, the reason why I included it in this challenge was more for the people that we're using caffeine, let's say in the afternoon slump phase or with energy drinks or with kind of, you know, the 5 p.m. mocha latte type of thing. Um, and so it's typically when caffeine is um, sorry, consumed with sugar or sort of that late in the day thing, because then it's like, well, why don't we just go to bed a little bit earlier and get some better sleep? So is it masking some lifestyle habit that we could change? Now, if you're someone who gets up and has a couple cups of coffee in the morning and great, like I don't really see that as a vice and I don't think that needs to change. So it's kind of what's going on with it and how is it being used? When you see someone training, you know, and, and these days everybody wants to do more and more and more. How do you get them to understand that's such a small component to all of this, you know, where nutrition, sleep, mm -hmm. stress is actually more important. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that you can. Like I went through that phase, right? <laughs> I'm sure you did too. <laughs> I think there is a little bit level of like, if that's just their passion at the time and they really are enjoying being in the gym and training more and more. Um, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to have the conversation with them and also show by doing that. Like, look, I, I do less than an hour a day and I'm able to maintain some pretty good fitness based off of that. But, you know, again, it might just be a, a phase for them or something they have to go through and, and sort of you know, after they get done with it, be like, okay, I, I probably don't need that quite as much. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a hard, you know, everybody sees these people performing great. The games athletes are just athletes they look up to and they only, it's like they only see the exercise. They don't see all of this other stuff that mm. goes into it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I, I don't know, though, I sometimes think about it compared to any other hobby, you know, like I've gotten really into golf at times. And it was like before work and after work and on the weekends, you know, or got really into salsa dancing, I'm going five nights a week or something like that. So sometimes I just am like, well, this is just their hobby right now. And they love it. Um, I do try to help out for sure, if we're talking, you know, managing injury and expectation, but there is some level of like, well, if they really love what they're doing right now, okay, you know, <laughs> Yeah. You don't want to tell them not right. I, I, it's like, we want to help them more than they want to help themselves at times. And mm -hmm. let's, let's bring it back to that as a, as a CrossFit coach, you know, you, you are perhaps one of the most experienced coaches in the world. Uh, you started coaching CrossFit in about 2007, six, but yeah, 2006, <laughs> you saw a lot of coaches come and go. What, if, if someone new is listening to this, what I always ask somebody, like, what's something tangible they can do to improve as a CrossFit coach? Yeah. Um, it it kind of goes back to the idea of trying to go to other gyms. And I think that's one of the, the awesome things that, um, you know, being able to be on staff was, was really in, uh, instrumental in developing as a coach because, you had a very limited framework to work with entirely new athletes. And I'm not entirely sure how that you can replicate that outside of the seminar environment, but I do think it accelerates your coaching development significantly. And so that's where I love the idea of going to other gyms or, you know, dropping in on other gyms or, you know, trying to work with other coaches as much as possible because yeah, I'm putting a time 
constraint on and, and asking a guest coach and stuff like that, that kind of is this trial by fire really does accelerate that process besides just reading and learning and talking to your own athletes, you know, <laughs> who, did, who did you learn the most from? I think he's on your podcast theme, probably Adrian, Adrian Bosman. Yeah. I think he's, he's someone who, you know, I like to dive into nutrition research. He's really well-versed in a lot of the research surrounding training and yet he'll never let you know that until you push him there. So he'll always explain concepts in such an elegant way. And then if you really want to talk about forces at the knee and the patella at what angle of the squat, he'll go there. But, uh, but he knows how to make it really applicable on a day-to-day basis. But isn't that what you just did about nutrition? I hope so. That's what I try to do. <laughs> and, you know, and I think there's your lesson for people listening. It's like the best in the world, keep it super simple. Hey, dummy, eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables. Yeah. And, and I guess that's another reason why I've always loved Coach B, right? I mean complicated lifts and he just tells you to jump, jump like hell, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm chatting with both of them, uh, in the next couple of days. So I'll definitely oh, let them know you've said nice things. And I agree. They're two of the best. And what I've always, I think I can appreciate that about, you know, most people on staff and, you know, some of the best coaches in the world, that's like, you keep it pretty simple. And I, you don't need to let me know how much, you know, I can figure it out really quickly. Yeah. Totally. And, and actually it's interesting. I remember at my first level one seminar, you know, hearing eat meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar and keep intake, et cetera. I remember hearing that and just being like, that can't be it. And then, you know, years later after implementing the program and more research and another master's degree and all this study in it, and it's like, oh my gosh, that's so elegant, you know, and that's, that actually describes what's happening for the physiology very well for a lot of people, you know? Um, <laughs> So it is interesting that a lot of times it sounds, something that sounds simple doesn't necessarily mean that it's not well-researched. And I think there's a misconception there sometimes. You know, you, you bring up fitness in 100 words, Coach Glassman's, you know, eat meats and vegetables. You, you've probably run the gamut much like I have when it comes to nutrition in your life, but specifically in the CrossFit world. Mm-hmm. What, what different methodology, methodologies did you try when it came to nutrition? Sure. Zone, paleo, intermittent fasting, um, macros, 800 gram challenge, (laughs) um, elimination stuff, um, like autoimmune protocol. Um, yeah, like no sugar, no alcohol, no caffeine, you know, eliminating all those things. Um, yeah, that covers it. Which, which gave you the best results? You know, what's interesting, I was actually thinking, about, I don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole, but it's interesting, like zone or macros, because I think the physical process of weighing and measuring food just drills into your mind, like, oh, spinach doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, you, you very quickly learn, like, oh, it's not the cucumber, like, oh, okay, it's the almond butter, the butter, and like the bacon that I have to kind of look at. So I think when you start looking at weighing and measuring, there's some huge, huge value there to understand what the bigger issues are. That being said, because I kind of have this lazy macros approach, as you go through all of these different iterations, you're coming into the next iteration with more knowledge. And so for me to off the cuff, be very close to my macros today is only because I went through all of those experiences, right? 
or for you to be able to estimate your macros very closely because you've been doing it at least consistently for four years. But I know you were doing a lot of nutrition before then. You know what I mean? Um, and so that's what's interesting. It's that each of those different cycles has its value um, because you learn something and then you can continue to apply it in a different way moving forward. Yeah, I agree. Regardless of what you're doing, first of all, if you listened to EC, she mentioned like 10 different things. So being willing to try different things and then, yeah, you can only, I agree with you, you know, understanding quantity is vital, but so is quality, but you can only do that if you've understood that quantity piece first. Mm -hmm. Totally. And you know, it's the same reason I tell people to still test out the zone if they're doing macros, because I know the benefit of that. And I still try to use it of having those balanced meals and mm-hmm. 40, 30, 30 versus saving up all your carbs for Oreos like I did last night. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing is you can do that on macros and of course it works and people will love that and find value there too. But then where I've sort of shifted and that's what my whole lazy macros idea is, it's, it's sort of to back to zone S because it's like, I don't actually like logging everything. And so if I just sort of do an even split across the day, you lose some of that legwork, you know? Um, so there's value to both. And and every diet has its pros and cons, I guess. Totally. So. Totally. All right. Before we wrap it up and you kind of tell us some places we can find you, I always like to find out about books. So I want to have two books from you though, because you're so keen and you know so much about nutrition. So I would like to have a book that you would recommend anyone read if they want to just learn more about nutrition. I'm going to recommend one that I recently finished by um, Stefan Guillenet. And I always say it wrong. It's not Stephen, but it's like Stefan. Stefan Guillenet called The Hungry Brain. And he's into neuroscience and so PhD And so he looks at like why we tend to overeat all those processed foods. And I think it's just from an evolutionary perspective, really interesting. But I love some of his conclusions as well, because they're super simple. And it kind of motivated one of the posts I did recently, where it's like, it's just easier if it's not in the house. (laughs) And so he goes through this whole book to explain all these like really intricate mechanisms. And what are his recommendations? Like, yeah, just don't have it in the house. Um, Not to be a spoiler alert there, but it's, it's really interesting regardless. So that's one. And then another book, actually, um, a colleague from the East and a CrossFit, CrossFit um, Kana, sorry, recommended it to me called Deep Work. And it's just about, um, I feel like in our age of distraction, I felt like I was getting just distracted social media and all these little tasks. And I just was not being able to concentrate on really good work for a while like I used to be able to do. And so I kind of had dedicated reading every morning for an hour at least on a topic. And so he was like, you really should read deep work. And so I've read that and it's, it's just great. And some strategies to how to go about being really productive and meaningful in your work instead of just jumping across like 20 platforms and 50 notifications. <laughs> Do you have anything that you've implemented already that's working that people might check out uh, like me? Yeah. Well, I definitely, you know, setting aside for me anyway, a time in my day when I'm actually reading, you know, if nutrition's interesting to me, which it is, and I want to keep up with that, like I have to understand the concepts. And so doing that in the morning is super helpful for me before the day kind of starts to unwind and the emails are coming in. Um, Another one that he, I think it was in that book, or it might've been a subsequent to that as I was kind of reading more on deep work stuff, but some people have, I love this idea, two different logins on their computer. 
one for work and then one which has all the links to Facebook and email and all that other stuff. And I think that's actually a great idea because I don't know how many times, you know, I'll be in the middle of writing a blog post or a post and then you get an email or you see a notification and you get pulled off track, right? So I think that's another great idea to kind of stay focused. That's a, that's a really novel, I think sometimes we all overthink things and we try to create these crazy things where it's like, hey, just lock yourself out of your computer. Yeah, just use the Google document or the Word <laughs> document, you know, and and then when you're done after an hour, go back to the email side. <laughs> uh, so I usually ask for books, but they can be any range of topics for UIS, specifically for nutrition. Do you have a book? It sounds like deep work is kind of a little bit broader than that, but do you have another book that you recommend that's just off topic? <sighs> I'm kind of walking out to my <laughs> living room right now. No, because I think my other books that I've been reading have been nutrition. It's interesting. You start to forget things. So you have to go back and reread things over a year. So I've actually picked up some of my epidemiology books um, for nutrition and trying to trying to crank through those again. So I don't know that I'd recommend this. <laughs> well, where can people find E.C. Sinkowski? You're on optimizemenutrition.com. Mm-hmm. But yep. wh- where else can people find out more about you? And, and do you have any other projects you wanted to chat about? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's my website, but that's also my same Instagram handle where I'm a little bit more active. Um, they can find some an audio course that I have. It's kind of like over two hours of lectures that's um, on Teachable, but you can find that through my website. We've got the challenges on SugarWad. That's a great place to go if you want to run the 800 gram challenge at your gym, but also the foundations challenge with you. So that's macros with 800 grams and um, had some good results and feedback from that as well. That's at SugarWad. Um, and I think that's it for now. Yeah, those are kind of where you can find me. Yeah, I, you know, I'm on Instagram often, but yours is one of the ones I check regularly because your content, it looks good and it's also very informative. And a lot, you get a lot of those like, aha, like, yeah, like you mentioned about that deep work. If it, it's easier if it's not in the house. Yeah, makes sense. Right. It's hard to eat cookies if you don't have them in your pantry. But a, <laughs> totally. A, a lot of the stuff you put out there is just super simple stuff that if someone's perusing Instagram, they can actually learn, which is kind of cool compared to oh, what's cool. out there these days on Instagram. You know? Yeah, well, thank you. I, I try to put some thought into it, so I'm glad that you like it. <laughs> so you have all that, and we hope that whether you decide to do the 800-gram challenge or just check EC out, She's got some great stuff out there. So thank you, EC, for for being on. And we look forward to hearing testimonials. from. I just like when people listen, try it out, and let me know that, hey, you had EC on, and I tried it, and it was successful. So if you do that, we want to hear from you. But thank you, EC, for being on here. Thank you so much, Jay. It was fun. All right. Have a good rest of the day in uh, Colorado. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. Take a moment, head over to the Apple Podcast app or Spotify or Google or whatever you use and leave us a review. It really means a lot to us and it's what allows us to spread the word. Also, share this with your friends, your family, your coworkers. Tell everybody at the box to listen to Best Hour of Their Day and let us know what we can do to provide you a better experience? Do you have topics you want us to talk about? People you want us to interview? We are here for you, the community. We're here to give back and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Best Hour of Their Day.